Today we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel, chapter 2, the first seven verses, verses 1 to 7. After David had lamented the death of Saul, he inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And the Lord said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone in his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul is your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Hannah's going to take uh, the children's room. And we're in Mike's capable hands. Okay. Yeah, it's a very windy day, isn't it? So wonderful that you braved the elements and came in. Uh, it's a uh, joy to be here. And uh, we're going to be studying that bit of the Bible that uh, Rob kindly read to us. And as we finish, it's just worthwhile saying at the start that you get the chance to ask any questions, uh, make any comments, uh, so it's a free-for-all. Uh, I don't want to gag you uh, by saying you've got to listen to me and then you get no right to come back. You have. But I want to ask your opinion today, actually, so I need your help to work out whether what I'm going to suggest to you is actually the case. I want to start by suggesting it is actually a good thing to be led by someone. I'd love to know what you think about that when we get round to talking afterwards. Because I know it sounds strange to think that we need a leader, because what's brilliant about living in a free society is that there's a free choice of you doing whatever you want to do. That's the country we're living in. In fact, uh, the government's uh, big plan is to interfere less in people's lives so that they're set free to do whatever they want. At least that's what all the manifestos tell us. Whether you believe it or not, I'm not sure, but we are in a free economy, they say. But it's a bit like a ship, isn't it? Sea is a very big place, and you can take the ship anywhere, which is why the ship needs a captain to give it directions, otherwise it's going to be aimless. Also needs a captain to keep it safe. Ships and rocks don't go all that well together. So I want to suggest that freedom and leadership aren't opposites, but go hand in hand with each other. And therefore, we like to be led. I think that's true in the world of work. I mean, just imagine going to a bus garage if you're a bus driver. And um, uh, most bus drivers, I think, uh, Rob will correct me, uh, I think most bus drivers like a route 
and a schedule to drive to. To say to the bloke, here are the keys, there's a bus over there, take it through Dagenham any time you want, pick up a few people and drive them wherever they want to go, I don't think that's going to be all that appealing if you had a kind of job description like that. Now, you might say, okay, that's in the area of work, fair enough, we need to be organised when it comes to work, but when we get home, that's different, we can do whatever we want. Well, that's true. But even there, don't we want to be led? Uh, Julian, I'm not going to show you much of, a good, much of a cook. I would think that most of us who want to get in the kitchen, which is a fairly basic thing to do when you're at home, we normally cook following instructions that we've been given and that we've been set up to cook in that way. And we normally have therefore got a little bit of a blueprint that we're following. And especially if we want to make a, a dish that's different, we'd normally go to the guidance of a recipe book, wouldn't we? We need to be led. And, okay, if you're a bloke, that illustration doesn't work so well for you. Okay, we're DIY people, at least we're meant to be in our house, it's the woman that does it, so uh, I'm afraid I'm a failure man. But if you're a guy and you want to do the DIY stuff, uh, Gary, are you much of a DIY guy? So-so? It dabbles a bit. That means that his house is a wreck. <laughs> That's what happens to be most blokes that dabble. But say you want to do some DIY. What do you do? You go to Ikea and you go through Ikea. What do you find? You get little set-up rooms to find out what you might do, what kind of furniture you might get to set up your house in that kind of way. You need a few ideas and then you can work it out when you get home and put your own stamp. But the ideas are there to start with. We need someone to influence us in those choices. We need to be led. And you might say, okay, never mind the home, I'll go to the gym. Well, you go to the gym and someone has to tell you how to work out when you get there, what different machines they won't let you on them until they've given you a bit of a crash course. Some people actually pay to have what's called a life coach. You're paying to be led. That's not just true in the area of fitness, that's true generally in the area of money. Uh, you need a financial advisor to help you to know what to do with it all. Yeah, I know you're sniggering because you think I'm the one that's the bloke with the money, but actually I'm not telling you because that's my experience, it's because my friend Bill Dean next door is had to have a financial. Go and ask him to, for a loan, don't come asking for me. Uh, but yeah, we just need to be led in these areas, don't we? We value leadership, most of us, more than we realize. We follow leaders. And even the leaders, like the Prime Minister, the leader of leaders, doesn't he have a band of advisors? And some of them are quite influential. Think of Mr. Mandelson. Yes, that's right, he's the one. Um, <laughs> power behind the throne. Now we all are looking to be led. And I want to suggest that uh, if we are going to be looking to be led, then it becomes fairly important what kind of leader we choose to follow. And that is uh, obviously the pivotal thing, isn't it? That's the $100 million thing. Um, 
because some captains are going to keep us off the rocks better than others. And we need to be choosing carefully which captain we have. Which is why I think today's Bible passage helps us. You thought we might get round to it eventually. You're right. Have the Bible passage open just in case you've thought Mike's just about gone as far away as you can go and you can't see any way back. We're just page 255 and 2 Samuel chapter 2. And I want to say two things. The first thing I want to say is that God has given us a king. In this part of the Bible, um, it is... King David, that's his name. And the first thing you find out about King David in verse 1 is that he himself wants to be led. That's interesting, isn't it? He turns to God uh, because he uh, recognizes that he has a greater leader than himself. And he says, what shall I do next? Shall I go up into one of the cities of Judah? And God tells him, go up. doesn't say how God tells him to go up, so the mechanics can't be that important. But it tells us that the king wants himself to be under a greater authority, which is God. Now, please, whatever you do, don't go away thinking that David is this kind of indecisive person who's got to keep asking questions like that. All you've got to do is read chapter 1 and you find that he is making decisions all the time. He is teaching all the time. He is leading very dramatically all the time, all the way through chapter 1. So it's not indecisive. He's just wanting to be obedient. And he does that because this king knows that God has got a bigger plan. And David wants to fit into it. He knows God's got a bigger plan because, remember, this is the guy who was a shepherd boy in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And God said, you are going to be my king. So clearly he's got a bigger plan than David's chosen career path that he was following. And now David therefore understands that if God has this big plan, how is David going to follow into it. He wants to be led. And he wants to be led because he wants to fit in with God's greater picture. And when God says, go to Hebron, now you begin to see actually there is a bigger picture behind this instruction because it is where Abraham began. Uh, When Abraham uh, who uh, came in to uh, live in the land that God had promised to give him, he moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. If you know the story of Abraham, you know that actually God told him that he's going to have a son. And again, that happens in, one, uh, in, uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 18. And God comes to him in Hebron by those same oaks in Mamre and tells him, you are going to have a son this time next year. So Hebron is Abraham's city. It's the only place that he bought a bit of land. 
His wife Sarah died. He bought a bit of land to uh, bury her in. It's the only bit of land in the whole of the promised land that Abraham actually owned. Hebron is where it started. And um, you could say it's where Israel's life in the promised land began. It began in Hebron. And now David's told to go and start there as well. And uh, very interestingly, in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 4, it says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Now you come back into our passage and look at verse 2, and you see there's an exact match in the words. David went as God had told him. The words match. And David is fitting into God's greater plan and it's going to be the place of a brand new start. And it says that, doesn't it, in verse uh, uh, 4. Uh, there they made him king. I'll take it off from it. Um, as Hannah said in her all-age activity, it's been a very long time coming. We've been waiting for David to king ever since we started. One Samuel, way back in April last year. And bit by bit by bit by bit, we've gone on. And finally, we've got to this part today. And he's finally appointed king. Lots of people have been trying to stop him. It hasn't made any difference. He is the king. And it's only a small beginning, that's true. If you look at it closely, you see that he is only king over one of the twelve tribes. He's only king of Judah. But it's very significant because now, for the very first time in the history of mankind, you have a king after God's own heart visibly ruling in this world. That's why it's so significant. This is the first glimpse you have of the kingdom of God in a concrete, in this world way. Yes, it's small. Yes, at the moment it's tucked away in the hills of Judah. It's as small, if you like, as a mustard seed. But it started. And it will grow. It's accepted by some. Next week we'll see that it is rejected by others. But it's here. We now have God's king in the world. And God's big plan that started with Abraham and then surfaced, if you like, uh, finally in full view of everybody, in uh, the kingdom of David, ultimately ends with uh, uh, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's ultimate ruler. And the first line of the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel actually ties it all together. Jesus is called, if you look at the Christmas reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Jesus, who is the son of Abraham, the son of David, it's part of God's great plan that this uh, ruler should be here. 
And like David in verse 1, he would only do what God told him to do. Actually says in John chapter 5 verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, he was not indecisive by uh, uh, doing that. He was just always obedient. Like David, he was accepted by some and opposed by others. He himself said that the kingdom of God that he was bringing was like a mustard seed. But it would grow. It would never go away. And in Jesus... God has given us, which means every single person in this room, a personal ruler, a king, a leader to follow. So my first part was God has given us a king. My second point is he invites us to be led by him. That's the first words that Jesus said when he came on the scene. Follow me. First thing that David does as he comes on the scene is he sends messages to Jabesh Gilead, which pretty much the same message. Now look, it's always a risk, isn't it, offering someone friendship. The risk is they can turn you down. And there's certainly a risk here with David sending messages to this place called Jabesh Gilead. Why? First, because there was a physical uh, barrier, because the Philistines, you remember after they won the war at the end of 1 Samuel, they were settling all around in those parts. So, Jabesh Gilead was under Philistine control. So, for a start, David sending messages there, well, you've got the enemy to get through. But the second reason why Jabesh Gilead was a bit of a risk is because this is the town that was loyal to a man, to the last king, King Saul. And David himself tells you that, doesn't he, in verse 4? He points out for the, the way that they uh, honoured Saul after he had been amazingly humiliated. They had time for Saul because remember how Saul delivered them from Nahash the Nasty, we called him, in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Nahash the Nasty is going to blind every uh, bloke's eye, right eye. And Saul came and delivered, him, uh, delivered them. And they never forgot what Saul did. And so they honoured Saul right to the very end. Therefore, you've got to ask, haven't you? After being so loyal to Saul, how are they going to react to the one person Saul really, really hated. How are they going to react to him? Well, it's interesting to see how David approaches them, the people in Jabesh Gilead. First, he wants to know that he is on their side. I want God's blessing for you, he says, uh, in, uh, uh, where is it, verse 5. May you be blessed by the Lord. Those are his first words. I love your loyalty. I'm not your enemy. I see what is good. 
What a lovely, gracious way to begin, to commend someone and to identify uh, positively what they've done. Secondly, he wants them to know God's love. Steadfast love is what it says here in verse 6, is love that never switches off. And my friends, God is the only one who can love like that. Every other bit of human love will always switch off. The best day of my life, someone told me, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, they were never, ever going to walk out of me. The most precious words I've ever heard in my life. But actually, right at the very end, I had also to listen till death us do part. That tells me that there will come a time when, well, Gary knows this, that death parts us. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Knocks the stuffing out of us. But now there's a love that will be beyond any human love in its comparison. Love that is uh, connected to uh, uh, God's faithfulness. That word is linked with uh, truth. In other words, God will never back away from his promises. And he will do that as long as he lives, which is forever. And so rather than treat these guys in Jebesh Gilead as enemies, David says, I want the best of God's love to be experienced by you. And therefore, thirdly, he says, I'm going to be the king who will do good to you, which means to deliver them. Remember Nahash and Astin, how they need to be delivered by him, or from him? Well, the Philistines are there now, and David says, and I will do good to you, which means I will deliver you from the Philistines. I will do uh, the same thing. I will be a king to you that will do you good. Now, the interesting thing is we're not told how they responded. You'd love to know that, wouldn't you? doesn't say, though. But it's very interesting where this little bit with Jebesh Gilead comes in these opening verses of chapter 2. Because it comes between Hebron, uh, the people in Hebron who accepted David as king, in verse 4, and Abner, who will reject David as God's king in verse 8. We'll come to him next week. Jabesh Gilead is poised in the balance between those two opposite responses. And we don't know which way they jumped. But it's like that and put like that, so cleverly placed like this in the Bible, to raise the question, well, if you were there, which way would you go? And it leaves that question unanswered. Because it's up to you. Now, what can we learn from this for ourselves tonight? What can we take home with us? I think it might be a new insight, perhaps, to just simply understand and realize and see that with Christianity, what is really on offer is not a religion, but a leader. To be a Christian is simply to recognize that God has appointed a king in his world 
and therefore it is right for us to follow him. As reasons, of course, we may not want to because we think it's so small, it's insignificant, is it ever going to last? But it's like a mustard seed, just like Jesus said. It started and it's growing and it will never stop until one day it fills the whole of eternity. And through this part of the Bible, Jesus, God's ultimate king, is inviting you to follow him. Can you see how he does it? He says he's for you. He says he is going to bring God's blessings to you. He reveals how he's going to fix God's eternal love on you. He wants you to therefore trust that he will do good to you. So therefore be strong and valiant as it says. Treat him as your personal leader, your personal king. See the alternative to not becoming a Christian is, is not to reject religion. It is ultimately to reject very personally the king that God has put over us. Not to be a Christian is to treat, to reject God as personally as that. And ultimately, therefore, to serve the interest of the king's enemy, which is how our lives will go. Just by not coming under his lead. Secondly, it brings into issue, doesn't it, the leadership of Jesus as being the most important thing. And that's interesting to note here, because in this case, God's king is David. And the people who are invited to treat him as king are those who are already within the boundaries of Israel. You could say that they are God's people already. And yet they need to decide whether they are going to treat David as their king. I think in that there is just a helpful alertness, alert for us rather, to realize that it is possible to live, if you like, within the boundaries of the church and to miss out seeing that there is still a decision to be made whether Jesus is going to be treated as our personal king. And that is actually what it means. It comes through in the details of how we follow him. Will we stop doing the things that he doesn't want us to do? When I became a Christian, I would sleep around with girls. When I became a Christian, I realized he would not want me to do that. And I had to stop. And I had to start doing the things he wanted me to do in the area of loving other people. The way he wanted me to love them, what's more, not just in a general way. In a very specific way I was to love people. The way that he, as my king, wanted me to do. And that meant working out the details. How I would spend my time. How I would spend my money came under his 
rule under his authority. And I think that's important for us to understand because if we're following Jesus, we are following a ruler, not a religion, where we can plug into some bits and plug out of others. But then thirdly, it may be that uh, uh, we have that feeling inside of us that says, yeah, I want to follow this Jesus as my ruler, I'm just not sure whether I'll be able to do it. In which case, look closely again at what David says and try and work out who's doing the action here. Who's doing most of the doing? Is it David or the people in Jabesh Gilead? I think you fairly clearly see that it's David who's going to be blessing them and doing good to them. And therefore, he is the one who will do good to us, and he is therefore the one who will overcome the enemies that will stop us serving him. Follow this king, and he will help you to follow him. That's how it works. Now, we need the courage to decide that that is what we're going to do, that he is our king, but he is the one who will make it possible for us. Jesus wonderfully said the words in the screen, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's amazing, isn't it? that we are invited to follow someone who is gentle and lowly in heart. Just imagine, you in eternity, when you finally meet Jesus, if he has been your king, you will be in the presence of someone who is a magnificently glorious ruler over the whole universe. And yet, the person you're with and talking to is someone who is gentle and lowly in heart. Wouldn't you want to spend eternity with somebody like that? Because he was always wanting himself to be a servant for his father. Rather than a proud, arrogant dictator, the kind of leaders you and I would run from. You see, follow any other leader and we will be burdened. Follow this leader and he will give us rest. Yes, he is a clear leader. Uh, there's no doubt at all what a yoke is. It means that we live to serve him. That you put a yoke on an ox because uh, they are now going to uh, uh, work for you. There is that element of us serving him but it's easier with his yoke. And his burden is actually light because he says, I will do good to you. You take his yoke and that's what you will discover. If you take any other yoke, we will end up in our lives burdened and restless.
and we live in an estate of people who are burdened and restless. There is one place where that burden will be lifted and where people will find rest. So, like Jesus, it's just helpful, isn't it, for us to have another look at David's words. I will do good to you. My friends, you are Jabesh Gilead. What will you do with that offer tonight? I want to pause there and uh, just give you a time to talk to God about how you will respond to that invitation. Just you. No one's going to hear. In your own thoughts, talk to God and say, God, this is how I want to respond to your king. Then after a little bit of time, I'll pray and we'll take questions after that. Okay? So let's, just a moment of quiet while you talk to God yourself. Let me pray. Father Almighty, we thank you that you have established your kingdom on earth and have revealed to us such a great king. Help our hands to be strong in a decision to serve him, that we may know his leadership and his help. We ask this in his name the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his glory. Amen.